Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Amanda Jayatissa, author of the debut novel, My Sweet Girl. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your debut novel, My Sweet Girl, how would you describe the novel? <laughs> Great question. Um, it's about a woman who finds her blackmailing roommate dead in their San Francisco apartment. And she is convinced that his death is tied into some of the incidents that took place back when she was living in Sri Lanka and the decisions that she made um, when she was leaving the orphanage when she grew up. Um, it combines a lot of my favorite elements of, you know, um, suspense and mystery. And there's also a few hints of a ghost story in there. So I've, I've been told it's a little creepy, um, which I kind of take as a compliment. <laughs> so, yep. That's great. Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write My Sweet Girl? Yeah, it's um, it's been, I think it was a very long and windy road. Um, that got me here. And it's actually a, a very funny story. So sure. I was working on another book, which wasn't going well, right? I was having this absolutely horrible case of writer's block, you know, the, the, the kind where you're screaming into your pillow at night and shaking your fists at the heavens, wondering why it's not coming together. Um, and I was just, I think, in a bad mood in general because of this. And then I had a very unfortunate encounter with my bank where, you know, I was supposed to have signed some paperwork and I swore I did and they swore I hadn't. And I had this really annoying morning trying to sort that out. And, um, you know, one of those situations where you're very frustrated, but you still feel like you have to smile through the whole thing and be polite <laughs> and your jaw is aching at the end of the day from, you know, that fake smile you have going on. And um, afterwards, I did what I think many writers in my position would do. I escaped away to my favorite coffee shop, ordered the largest cup of coffee that I could find. And after, you know, I was caffeinated and coffee makes everything better. I, I pulled out a notebook and a pen and I start to sort of rage write. Or I, was, I was writing all these things that I found really annoying and it was very ungracious and and. You know, not the most polite things um, that I was saying. Um, and I was just letting this bag, poor bag um, teller have it. I was just writing down these horrid things. And after a while, I was like, okay, hey, I'm actually having a really good time writing in this voice. <laughs> right? I was giving myself permission sort of to be really, really mean, which I don't think I had ever done before because, you know, we are sort of raised in this ideal, you know, you should always be polite. You should always be well-mannered. Um, and I just dropped all of that. And, you know, I thought, hey, what if I write a main character who was like this, who was thinking all these things in her head? Of course, she was presenting a different face to um, the rest of the world. And that's when sort of this Paloma character was born. That's my main character. And, uh, then I took the previous story that I was working on and it had this certain plot twist, big reveal elements. And I ripped that story apart, took out the, only the bits that I really liked and I thought were working, um, started narrating it in this character's voice and suddenly everything seemed to click and I was having a really fun time writing it. And I think that's always 
a good sign where you know that something's working is when you're starting to really enjoy it rather than really kind of wade through it, you know, in that annoying way. Um, yeah, and that's that's where the idea came from. Wow. Well, you've said that your novel is partly my experiences of living in the U.S. and being a brown woman navigating typically white spaces and partly mm -hmm. an ode to the horror stories you whispered as a child growing up in Sri Lanka. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Um, so the first part, um, my experiences of being a brown woman, I, I think that was something that I, I felt was sort of missing a little bit in the genre. I, I read very heavily in the suspense mystery thriller genre. Of course, I'm a, I'm a big lover of it. And I found that a lot of the main characters um, shared a very similar experience. And most of them were white, um, sort of white women in their 30s. And that was all, it's all great. And it's all very interesting, of course. It's just not very similar to the experiences that I had. Um, you know, things like microaggressions, um, things that I faced when I was living in the U.S. Of course, we didn't have that term at the time, right? Microaggressions, it's something sure. that's very new. And certain things that I think people said that at the time I was laughing off, but it, it didn't sit right with me. And I tried not to make too much of a big deal about it because I think as brown women, that's something that you're sort of thought at a very young age is, is try not to make a big deal about things, right? Laugh things off and be this model minority. Um, I didn't find these elements in too many of the books that I was reading. So I just, um, it wasn't something that I did particularly consciously, I think, at the mm -hmm. time. I was just writing as a woman who was annoyed at a number of things. And it just so happened that the things that I were annoyed, that the things that I was annoyed about were these experiences that I had that I didn't even realize was annoying at the time, if that makes sense, sort of. Um, it's just that when I started digging deeper into this is when I realized I was like, okay, so someone said that to me and that was perhaps not okay, even though at the time I did laugh about it because I didn't sure. really understand that situation too much, but it did, it never sat right with me, you know? Um, so that, that was, um, yeah, there was a lot of that. I don't want to go into too many instances because I feel they might be spoilers, but sure, um, sure. a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, little, um, situations, um, where, you know, you're, you feel like you're exoticized. It's a lot of, oh, where are you from? Um, oh, Sri Lanka and India, that's really the same thing, isn't it? Um, a lot of comments like that were things that I, I had faced, um, myself when I lived in the Bay Area. And um, you also asked about the ghost stories. So that's my favorite, absolute favorite part of the book. Um, the girls in the orphanage uh, tell this ghost story very often of this woman uh, named Mohini. And which is, you know, you're very the quintessential woman in white that we see in many, many cultures across the world. But Mohini is Sri Lanka's woman in white. And she's probably our most famous ghost story or urban legend i think you'd be hard pressed mm -hmm. to find someone in sri lanka who either hasn't seen or knows someone directly who has allegedly seen mohini um <laughs> especially when traveling alone in the night somewhere you know woman in white um and we used to tell this story often and i even i even dressed up as her once to scare my cousins when i was about eight or nine um <laughs> so she was definitely my favorite sort of 
um, ghost, or maybe it was my favorite ghost story. And when the story, when My Sweet Girl, when that called for this sort of story that the girls would say that I wanted to base around, I tried to come up with something um, kind of on my own, but it wasn't working. And I was, you know, and I really wanted to include Mogni because I think she was, she played such a big part in my love of ghost stories or telling ghost stories, um, especially when I was younger. That's great. I'm curious, what is it about thriller and suspense fiction that appeals to you as both a writer and a reader? Oh, good question. Um, I think (laughs) (laughs) that's a big question. Uh, I think for me, having a certain mystery element or something to solve um, is something that I think was just deeply ingrained to me from the very first sort of books that I started reading. Um, I grew up in Sri Lanka and the books that were very, very popular here around the time that I was growing up, especially, were in Blyton books. Um, so I grew up reading a lot of, you know, Famous Five and Secret Seven, books like that, that had this element of, hey, you have to solve something. Someone's playing detective and you have to solve something. Um, and, you know, the, the very first uh, and I say this in like inverted commas, it's like the very first book that I tried to write back when I was maybe nine or 10 years old was sort of, again, a mystery because I've always loved them. Uh, and I think as I grew up, obviously, I, I read widely in a lot of sure. different genres, but I always kept coming back to these books that had these elements of having something to solve. And, and that's what engaged me. Um of course, I've always, like I said, I've always loved a good ghost story. I've loved something with creepy elements into it. So that always, um, I found myself naturally reading uh, those books or picking those books up. So it's it's no surprise to me or anyone that knows me really that those elements found themselves in my writing as well. Sure. Well, what was your writing process when you were working on this novel? Did you I mean, you talked about um, kind of rage writing and then taking that narrative <laughs> voice and going back to your novel. But I'm wondering, um, did you do a lot of outlining? Did you just kind of dive into the narrative? What was the writing kind of nuts and bolts like for you? Sure. Um, my process is very, huh, how do I put it? Um, it? It turns me into a very antisocial hermit is what it does <laughs> because um usually sort of step one is is my big idea and that can come at any point in time um but i'm usually a person who when i get this idea i'll i'll do that initial that be that initial burst and and i'll write down whatever i can try and grasp at and then i'd like to sit with this idea for just a little while um i have uh in my little office room that I've set up. I have a couch and everyone makes fun of me. I call it my thinking couch. Um, but my husband really, he's just like, that's just your napping couch. Like, who are you? Who are you trying to kid? He'll, he'll come in and I'll be taking a nap. And he's like, thinking, are we? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I swear I'm thinking. Um, so I do spend a few weeks perhaps just like sitting with the idea, letting it develop. Um, at this time, I might write things in the main character's voice. I love to write in first person. For me, that's what feels authentic most of the time. Um, so I spend a lot of time like maybe writing things that never make their way into the actual manuscript, but writing things in the main character's voice and trying to really 
get a sense of who is telling this story and what is the story they're trying to tell. Um, then I do an outline. It's usually more like a beat sheet, like this needs to happen, that needs to happen, this needs to happen at this point. So I have a rough idea of where things are going. Um, mm -hmm. It's a 50-50 of whether that gets followed or not. Um, there have been plenty of times where I have, you know, outlined things and it's just gotten chucked out the window. Um, uh, but I, I just like to think I have an idea of where the story is going. Um, and then when I start writing, I actually write quite fast and I don't do much else when I'm writing that first draft, just because I like to get it all down and I like to get it all down as soon as I can. So usually a few months, um, uh, by about two or three months, I think I should, I should have a sense of what the first draft would be. And then the hard work begins, right? Where I'm ripping it apart, um, adding things, revising, 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 having, um, obviously my husband usually reads it first and he is very, very, um, let's say honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, he, he rips it apart. He rips me apart completely. He'd be like, no, no, that doesn't make sense. So why would they say that? Uh, and so thereafter, um, a lot of very heated discussions, um, uh, I'll have something that I would then perhaps I most likely send to my agent first who, who reads and gives me feedback um, and we take it from there. That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Oh, um, I think very, very importantly, not to compare yourself or your process to anybody else. Um, I think something that really, really messed me up um, in the very early stages of my writing was listening to other uh, writers and getting very intimidated by the fact that, you know, they're churning out manuscripts at such a rate or, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're making these connections. And, you know, I am not someone that's very sociable or likes to say, put myself out there and network too much. And, and sure. they're out there doing that. And so for me, it was very intimidating. Like, oh, should I be doing that? Am I missing these opportunities because I'm not doing that? Or, you know, they're writing, you know, 3000 words a day and I can only, you know, manage 500. Like, what, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? Um, so there was a lot of comparing going on and it just took a while for me to be a little more confident in my process. And then who I am as a writer and the stories, of course, that I'm trying to tell and just be like, okay, that's great. And I'm, I'm very happy for them. And of course, um, a lot of writers have very valuable advice if you would sit and speak to them. Um, but it's very, it was very, um, it was an eye-opening sort of situation for me to be able to say, okay, I'm going to take these bits of advice, but I'm not going to take these bits of advice because while they're, it's good advice, it's not advice that applies to me. So kind of honing my own um, system that worked for me. Sure. Well, are you working on a new novel now? Uh, well, the next book is done, actually, <laughs> and uh, will be coming out in September um, again of 2022. And I am super, super, super excited for it. Um, it again, takes place uh, this time completely in Sri Lanka, but most of it in Sri Lanka. And uh, it centers ar around a big Sri Lankan wedding. Um, so, and of course, someone winds up dead because, you know, 
<laughs> what's a wedding without a little bit of murder, right? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's so, the next book. That's great. Do you have a title? It's called You're Invited. Great. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Nonfiction. Um, I read Beautiful Country. Um, it was an autobiographical uh, novel um, written by um, Jin Julie Wang uh, about her experiences of being an undocumented uh, child growing up in America. And I thought it was amazing. Um, her story was amazing. Uh, so it's, it was very interesting, of course, to me. I, I grew up in Sri Lanka, um, speaking English as a second language, uh, like everyone in Sri Lanka does. Uh, so I think um, it really resonated with me, this, this path of sort of learning, I think especially to speak English and this love of books and how that helps language and then how that eventually shapes you as a person. It was a fantastic read. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your debut novel, My Sweet Girl? Um, it's very easy, actually. All my social media handles and my website, everything is just my name. So it's Amanda Jayadissa on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And my website's amandajayatissa.com. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Amanda Jayatissa, author of the debut novel, My Sweet Girl. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy at your local independent bookstore. And Amanda, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much, Jeff. I had such a lovely time. Wonderful. Thanks a lot. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of My Sweet Girl by Amanda Jayatissa, read by Deepa Samuel, available from PRH Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. The shadows from the torch Maya held under her chin made her smile look evil, like the devil mask hung in the assembly hall to ward off the evil eye. We were all too excited to sleep, so Maya called all the girls to her bunk to tell us ghost stories. I didn't really want to listen. I'm too old to believe in ghosts. But I didn't want to be the only one in bed when everyone else was all the way on the other side of the dormitory. Lihini grabbed my hand and squeezed it. I gave it a squeeze back. She loved ghost stories, which I didn't really understand. Why would anyone want to be afraid on purpose? Relax, Paloma, she mouthed. I usually got annoyed when people told me to relax, like saying the words was enough to make me forget what was upsetting me in the first place. As though ghosts and demons would just go away if we simply relaxed. But Lihini was my best friend. I could never get angry with her. I scooted a little closer to her on the floor. There was no such thing as ghosts. It just made me feel safe to be near her. Maya needed to hurry up. If we got caught out of our beds, we would definitely be scolded, maybe even punished. They might even cancel the visit tomorrow. I took a deep breath and shook my head. They would never do that. We hadn't gotten many visitors to the orphanage in a few months now. Tomorrow was important. Everyone told us so. Our headmaster, Pereira, sir, Miss Chandra, even Miss Sarah, our English teacher. 
We were to be on our best behavior and make sure we knew exactly what we were supposed to do or say. Miss Chandra supervised the rehearsal today. Everything had to be perfect, and we were so excited that none of us could sleep. Of course, Maya would decide this was the best time to make it all about her. Sometimes I wondered if she even wanted to be adopted. She needed to be more responsible than this. She was twelve now, same as me. It's not like we were little children anymore. She walks slowly. Her feet are bare and dirty and covered in scratches. She wears a long white dress. Maya purposely made her voice into a throaty whisper, so every one of us leaned forward, barely breathing. I know this story, Vana Mohini, or Mohini, as we call it. We've all heard it a million times. We've all told it a million times, but I still held tight to Maya's words. There's blood under her nails, and they are long and sharp like talons. She made a sudden clawing motion, and Lihini leaped back, her hands over her mouth. We all giggled nervously. And her long black hair hangs over her face like this. The torch flickered as Maya messed her hair over her face, so just her eyes glinted through in the dim yellow light. Mohini walks only in the night, revealing herself to people who are all by themselves. Help me, help me! She begs. Maya made her voice high and raspy now, like when the chalk slips when you're writing on a blackboard. Some people say Mohini's eyes are red, red as blood, and when you look into them, you can see straight into hell. And if you stop to help her, she smiles, and before you know it. Maya dropped the torch and lunged forward, wrapping her hands around Lihini's throat. Lihini couldn't help it this time. A small scream rang like an alarm through the dormitory. I pulled Lihini away from Maya and put my arms around her. If I could have slapped Maya, I definitely would, but there wasn't time. Ayo, quickly, everyone, to bed before we get caught! I hissed. Getting Lihini to her feet and pushing her into her bunk. Thankfully, the other girls followed 